welcome to another episode of the Nuclear Medicine Molecular Medicine Podcast, the world's longest-running medical podcast. And here, um, I'm here in uh, Vancouver at the Society of Nuclear Medicine, and we've got uh, we've got a fellow here from from Siemens, a manufacturer of um, all, all nuclear medicine imaging instruments, um, um, and uh, one of their uh, and in their PET scans, they use um, uh, the tissue as the, as the detectors for, for picking up the, the gamma rays. Um, and um, uh, Risa here has uh, has got a clever use of, of that, that detector um, in other ways than just picking up gamma rays from our positrons. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you work and, and stuff. Alright, um, thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Reza Timuri Sichani. I am uh, a research scientist with Siemens. A um, little bit about myself. I actually um, did my PhD here in Canada, um, and then I graduated three years ago. I joined Siemens as a research scientist, and ever since I joined, we've been actually working on um, a lot of uh, CT less beta scans in the hope that uh, we can provide this option that if somebody wanted to do quantitative PETA scan without performing the CT, that um, option is provided. Um, let's, let's talk a bit about the need for that. I mean, every PET scanner has really got a CT on it these days. No one doesn't buy a PET scanner without a CT. But we've now got whole body um, PET scanners, and in order to do a CT, even for attenuation correction, you've got to expose the whole body to radiation, right? Um, uh, not just the. So, so that that's not necessarily even significant about the radiation. Um, so, there's a good reason to want to do it that way. Um, yeah, so carry on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a good point. Right now. We have been actually focusing this research on long axial field of view scanners, specifically the Siemens Biograph uh, Quadra. And that scanner obviously comes with a CT scanner. So the option of CT is always available. And uh, practically speaking, CT is always being done anyway. Um, however, there are cases where we, if we can, we ideally wanted to not perform the CT just for the sake of radiation. And this is specifically important in pediatric studies or in cases where we already have a prior CT for that patient and this CT, the new one, is only going to be acquired for attenuation and scattered correction. Right, well, the other reason is if you've got a whole body scanner, one of the reasons for doing it is to reduce the radiation dose mm -hmm. that you're going to give healthy people who are healthy controls for scans. Um, and because that whole body scan is way more sensitive than a traditional one, so you want to inject less, you can inject less radiation. If you want to reduce the radiation dose for doing healthy controls, particularly healthy controls for children, right, exactly. then uh, reducing the radiation dose without doing the CT makes things right. Exactly. That's, that's, the, that's a great point, because if you want to actually reduce the patient dose, dose to a reasonable level, and yet you're doing the CT, so you're kind of making the low dose PET scan irrelevant because you're still doing the CT and the patient is actually receiving a significant amount of dose for the attenuation correction that is done in the CT. So saving the CT here 
um, is actually going to help quite a bit. And then the approach that we have, we need to keep that in mind that we're actually using the background radiation that is coming from radioisotope lutetium-176. Now the patient is receiving the dose the moment that the patient gets into the gantry of the PET scanner. Because lutetium, there is a decay uh, of the lutetium-176 in LSO or in LSO-based scanners, whether it's LSO or YSO. So the patient is um, going to receive this radiation, whether we use it or not, that's up to us. Right. So we had this idea that, hey, the patient is receiving it. Plus, the patient is actually receiving this radiation exactly at the same time that the pet acquisition is being done. Ah. So unlike CT, where we have sequential acquisition of the pet data and the CT, this is truly simultaneous acquisition of the transmission and the emission data. Right, and if you have one of the... One of the things that you've got in, in Siemens PET scanners, less than the newer ones, is, is the ability to do quality control using using the radiation from, from, from the from tissue. Yes. Yeah, no, I actually use that on my PET scanner and it works. So, um, so, and that works quite well. I just set it up overnight and it, uh, it takes a while, uh, but it doesn't matter if you do it overnight, right? Yeah. And, and it does it does my quality control overnight. And, uh, and, uh, and, and that's certainly a useful use of that radiation. Exactly, yeah. No, we've been uh, we've been thinking about this, that, hey, this radiation exists. You're right. It's a relatively low flux radiation, so whatever you want it to do, it is going to take a while. However, it's a waste if you don't use it. It's, it's a perfect option. So there is actually quite a range of things that people are thinking about doing it. I know that it's not only Siemens. I know that there is uh, quite a few other academic groups that have been focusing on this. There's motion tracking that people have been looking so there are actually some uh, some usage that people are thinking about doing about using this background radiation, and I think there is legitimate reason for that. Right now, what's the energy of this background radiation? So there are two photons that are particularly of interest to us. One is the 200 keV. The other one is the 300 keV. Right. The 300 keV because it has a relatively higher energy than the 200. It has less self-absorption within the protector. It has more flux in it. Um, a lot of research has been focused on the 300 kV. But when I say 300, to be exact, this is 307 kV. Um, but we have been uh, using both the 200 and the 300. Right, and you look at the difference. No, we don't look at the difference. In fact, we assume that the 200 and the 300 are going to give you two different realization for this subject, then we actually combine ah, these gotcha. two realization to gotcha. reduce noise. Gotcha, yeah, because it's a low flux. Uh, because um, it's you low need, flux. You need everybody to catch it. Exactly, exactly, yes. That makes complete sense. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's that's a pretty clever way to do that. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm thinking, hold on, this is a, there aren't any collimators in a PET scanner. Um, how does this work? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I should be clear that um, you're right. There are no collimators. These are not actually singles that we acquire. These are still coincidences. Now, this might be a little bit confusing because these are there is no 511, there is no positron yeah. here. But what is, is that uh, if you look at the decay scheme of lutetium-176, what happens is that um, at the end of the beginning, what we have is a beta-minus decay. Yes. That beta minus decay is actually going to trigger the CFD. 
and once the 200 or the 300 photon is detected on the other side of the scanner, ah. this is going to basically So it's a mark coincidence between, between a beta minus and, and a gamma. Yes. Oh, how clever. Yeah, so the coincidence <laughs> is actually coming, but it's just not from 511. Oh, how cool. Yeah, but we need to bear in mind that in order to capture this, we need to open up the energy window. Because now we're talking about a very different energy window than the clinical 400 to say 600 um, keV. So what does the what's the energy of the beta minus? Um, you don't know because the beta minus actually has a spectrum of energy. Right. So it's not um, you 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 don't you don't know what energy is actually going to be deposited in the crystal form right. from the beta minus, and it doesn't matter. Because um, it's so basically getting the event requires a little bit of a thinking that uh, you really wanted to focus on the energy of the second event in order to distinguish uh, LSO background radiation. Gotcha. The first, the first event that is going to trigger the CFE really don't know how much energy is going to deposit. Right. So we just define a rather wide window and say that hey, whatever that is within this window, it could be a beta minus. But really what is going to determine is the time of flight of yes. the window and the um, energy for the second event. That's why cool. That's really interesting. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's, uh, right, does it produce an image? It does. So uh, we've actually uh, published a couple of papers on this right. and we've shown uh, some of the images. It actually does produce an image. Uh, a reasonable moment, it's nowhere close to a CT attenuation moment. It's a very low flux photon uh, uh, data. Sure, but we we did used to use those rod sources in the old PET scanners for, for doing those, and if you've ever seen a map of those, they're pretty wooden. Um, <laughs> that's true, but it's still a rotating rod source actually has quite a bit of a higher flux than the background radiation. Sure, sure. Um, nevertheless, we actually looked at the patient data set that we got from a long axis of the view quadra, and they just don't look terribly bad. Okay. We uh, we like them at least as a starting point for a joint reconstruction. We still think that they have uh, some very valuable information in them. Okay. Do, do you combine this at all with? I mean, you, we have seen people trying to do attenuation correction without a CT using a pen alone and looking at attenuation in that and working at a, a pseudo CT. In fact, that, that presented in, in this meeting. That's true. Um, so, um, could you combine? To, to make an even better job. I think that's a great idea. In, in fact, we have an ongoing research about this as well. Um, there is um, quite a big range of um, AI-related pseudo-CT generation algorithms. And uh, we also believe that perhaps the best option is to have a combination of various techniques where um, a pseudo CT is generated perhaps by AI, but uh, something like the LSO combined with MLA or MLACF is going to improve or personalize those events. So, things of that nature, is, I think, is something that in practice is probably going to give us the best results rather than using only LSO or rather than using only AI based methods. Well, I guess what you could do, I mean, we also know that they do these sort of things when they're trying to use. MR for attenuation correction. It's not perfect either, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it works most of the time, but there's that five percent of the time that it doesn't work particularly well. And the same, the same with the AI trying to get uh, uh, the, the um, that working. 
I don't know, and this, and I guess the same is going to apply to this method. It's going to be a five percent. What you don't want is that five percent to overlap, right? Exactly. But if it did, what you should be able to do, what you'd hope you'd be able to do, maybe is trigger and say, "Hey, we haven't got a good attenuation map here. Let's do a CT after we finished." Mm -hmm. That would be a good approach, right? That would be a good approach for sure. Yeah, and I think that's a that's that's a clever idea to have a backup plan. But hey, if it doesn't work, here we go. We still have a backup plan, so it's not a complete failure. Yeah. But you're right, yeah. Ideally, you don't want to have a method where it actually fails 5%, because if you think about it, 5% yeah, is, is a lot. Yeah, you don't want to have something in clinic where it fails 5% of the cases. Yeah. So, yeah, whatever approach that we eventually end up implementing, you want to make sure that this error is nowhere close to 5%, actually. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting, a really cool idea, and lots of other cool ideas that sort of flow from that. Right. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ever since we actually started this project, there's a lot of other ideas that are being thrown at us, and this has developed quite a bit, actually. So for the past, um, I wanted to say, two to three years now, at um, MIC Wars and MMI, we've been actually reporting on the progress, and every step of the way, we've managed to reduce the error, the quantification error, by, by a good margin. Excellent. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be looking forward to seeing this as a product that you down the track. It works effectively. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it near being a product that people could buy or use? Um, I don't have an answer to that. We have been, what I can tell you is that uh, we've been working with our collaborators around the globe to actually uh, test this algorithm on patient data sets. Whether if this is ever going to be in a product or at one point really depends on the analysis and really depends on the feedback that we get from our collaborators. So I don't have a solid answer to that just yet. Okay. It's a great idea. And, and uh, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great approach. It's something that's super interesting. And it's great to, to see people thinking out of the box, you know, exactly. using things out of the way. So that's yeah. great. Yeah, exactly. Much appreciate. Anything else you'd like to add in, in terms of this? Um, not really, no. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks again for taking part in the podcast. That was super interesting and a really cool idea. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you.